Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. Well, are you ready for this new year? No? Maybe you need a little Lucy and a little Charlie Brown to help you get started. Let's, 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 let's see what Lucy has to encourage us with today. To see such carefully rendered sarcasm. Happy New Year, Lucy. Does that make it so? Does your saying Happy New Year truly make it a Happy New Year? Not in my experience. <sighs> Everyone said things would get better. In the new year, things will change. But here we are, one full day into the new year and everything is exactly the same. You think maybe we got a used year? Probably. If the big Eastern Calendar Syndicate got their way, this will just be the same lousy year over again. You can't fight Big Calendar! Well, are you going to make any New Year's resolutions? What? What are you insinuating? That I need to change? I'm fine just the way I am. Thank you very much. New Year's resolutions are scams. Worthless. I don't have to improve. How could I improve? How, I ask you, how? I'm only asking because I'm planning to make some resolutions. Oh, well, that's different. (laughs) I'm going to try and correct all my faults. All of them? Yes. In that case, you're in luck. Hmm? We've only got one year, so there's not much time. I've jotted down a list of your faults and all improvements you'll need to make. Good grief. We don't want to miss anything, so I am happy to help you categorize, itemize, and prioritize everything about you we need to change. You know, Charlie Brown, this may be a happy new year after all. New Year's resolutions are very important, especially for someone like you, Charlie Brown. First, we need to address your wardrobe. Well, don't we all need a little Lucy in our lives? (laughs) Oh, maybe not. Some of you are Lucy. But it's that time of year, right? It's the time of year where at least some of us consider resolutions, uh, habits, goals, changes we want to make. And I got to confess to you, I love it. I love New Year's. There's something about it. I love the fall, too, but I love I love New Year's. now, for me, I, honestly, I've shifted over the years from just setting goals to actually thinking a lot about the new habits that I want to instill in my life, particularly habits that will lead to a particular kind of growth. Now, I think goals are really good. In fact, I think they're essential. But without a supporting habit, something regular, something daily, I actually don't move toward my goals. And failing to instill good habits in our lives is one of the reasons why many of the, quote, New Year's resolutions, it's why gyms are empty by February, you know? It, it's, it's one of the reasons why many of the New Year's resolutions actually never resolve into anything. Now, a real common example, of course, the one that we all pick, we all think of, is physical health. And uh, so, say, say you set a goal that you want to lose weight or something like that or get healthy. And, and that can be a goal, although... 
you know, if you've done any looking into goals, you know they need to be smart, right? You all have heard this. This is all old information to you. A smart goal, specific, measurable. What's the A? Achievable, relevant, time-bound, okay? So uh, maybe you you get a, a smart goal, and that will really, really help you. But unless you incorporate a specific habit that will help you do that or move toward that goal in, 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 some, in some ways, uh, in, in an instinctual way, in a way that after that habit is established, you'll do it. Often those goals won't go anywhere. And they don't have to be big habits. My problem in the past has always been setting huge goals, but huge habits that I inevitably feel overwhelmed by. But I realized over the years that even a small incremental habit can grow into big change. It's been shown that simply keeping a food journal will change the way you eat. Like simply writing down what I ate today, because nobody wants to see, I ate two bags of chips today. Nobody wants to see that, right? Instinctively, you think, that is not good. I drank four Cokes today, whatever. So keeping a food journal can change the way you eat. Um, If you start tomorrow, or give yourself to January 1st, with one push-up, and decide every other day, I'm going to do one extra push-up. That's it, just one. Can you do one push-up? Almost everyone can do one push-up. On day three, that is January 3rd, you do how many push-ups? Two. On day five, you do how many push-ups? Three. Oh, this is easy, right? Super. Well, the reality is, by summertime, how many push-ups are you going to be knocking out? A lot of push-ups. It's true. Even just starting really small, you can lead to big changes. Now, some of you I know have been asking me what I've done, because in the past year, I lost, I've lost close to 50 pounds. And Now, you think I did something amazing, something complicated, something weird. No, I didn't. You know what I did? I ate less. (laughs) I'm really serious. But actually, specifically, I incorporated a habit into my life. A habit inspired by others, a lot by my sister-in-law, called intermittent fasting. Which is a fancy way of saying, don't eat as much (laughs) for amounts of time. And so, literally, from January last year, uh, I was 50 pounds heavier, and uh, now some of that I might have been uh, influenced by my dad passing and, you know, emotional eating and all that stuff, but truth is, I was my heaviest weight ever in January of last year. And over this last uh, last year, I simply started incorporating intermittent fasting into my life. No, I'm, I'm not a health professional, blah, 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 go talk to somebody about it, but for me... That was the simplest habit I could possibly imagine. It didn't require any complicated, like, what am I eating? How am I eating? Is it this kind of diet? Is it this? I didn't require any of that. All I had to do was what? Not eat. Man, that was as simple as it could get for me. But by incorporating that habit into my life, I lost weight. It was amazing. Just a simple habit. Now, I'm not saying there weren't times where it wasn't simple, but the truth is, by by keeping it uncomplicated, by incorporating a simple habit, it led to change. Basic habits lead to better health. That's just true. But what habits, you might ask, are helpful? Well, we can narrow that down. Not all habits are created equal. Some are actually more important than others. As I've told you, I had a tendency in the past to list about 14 new habits I'd like to have incorporated by January 15th, which went absolutely nowhere, right? Bite off more than you could chew. And so what uh, I found in reading a number of things, particularly uh, Charles Duhigg's book, The Power of Habit, is that there are actually a few keystone habits, they're called, that if you'll, do, if you'll incorporate that habit into your life, it'll lead to catalytic change in a whole bunch of areas. It's actually pretty amazing uh, to look into. 
of things that you wouldn't think of if you're incorporated as a regular habit in your life will lead to actually pervasive change in other areas of your life. And Charles Duhigg shows that certain keystone habits create this overall momentum. They have a way of rippling out and impacting us impacting a variety of areas that you may not have even expected would be impacted. I encourage you to look that up. You can just Google Keystone Habits and and discover more. But as you set goals in important areas of your life, the, the key is to identify what are just a couple of habits that if I incorporate those, they'll lead to change in a number of areas in my life. Okay, that's my mini seminar on goals. If you want to hear more, you know, take me over coffee and I'll talk to you about habits and goals until the coffee's cold. But I do want to encourage you to think through in 2020 just one or two key habits that you'll incorporate into your life that will have a catalytic effect on your relationships, on your body, on your mind, on your friendships, just across the board. But for my part this morning, I want to suggest one. I want to encourage you to consider this one keystone habit for you, but for us as a church. Uh, If you're a visitor here today, I challenge you to take up this keystone habit for 2020. It will have far-reaching effects in your personal life and in our corporate life. It'll have far-reaching effects in your spiritual and your mental health. It'll actually have a tremendous impact on any kind of particular uh, struggle you might be having with anxiety or with lust or with anger. Uh, it has a, a real profound effect on your self-understanding as well as your understanding of the Christian faith. So it, it sounds like a tall order, but this keystone habit, habit has this ripple effect. To do that, we're going to go to the very first of the Psalms today, Psalm 1. It's the first of 150 psalm, psalms, or it sounds like songs. They are mostly songs. They're prayers and, and songs and poems that were collected over the years, and they have They've been designed to help us live and to pray as God's people. The Psalms have been the prayer book for God's people for thousands of years, quite literally. And if you're interested in exploring them further, just a little over a year ago, the fall of 2018, we did a two-month series on the Psalms called TBH, to be honest. And we looked at, uh, there was eight weeks, we looked at how the Psalms help us get more honest. Honest with God, honest with others, honest with ourselves, honest about struggles that we're having. And so it actually is a great introduction to the Psalms. If you want to dig back into them, I, I encourage you to find them online, ericksoncovenant.ca or through iTunes. It's just a little over a year ago, so not that hard to find. So Psalm 1, though, it actually introduces the whole collection. In some ways, it's like a gateway into all of the Psalms, and it's considered a wisdom psalm. That is, it's a psalm that tells us how to live life well in ways that are good, in ways that are God-honoring, but in ways that lead to real flourishing in our lives. Living well is the theme of all wisdom literature, and it often contrasts good and right ways of living with wicked and foolish ways of living. And it's designed for us to see the contrast so that we see clearly and choose rightly the ways that lead to life. That's the design and the intent of all wisdom literature, so Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and, and uh, Job as well. Uh, but, but there's some psalms that actually fit specifically into that category. Well, through this opening psalm, Psalm 1, we're introduced to a keystone habit, a dynamic wisdom practice that leads us to flourishing growth in our lives. We're going to find it as we walk through the psalm together. Listen to the psalm. 
Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, sinners will not stand in the judgment. Wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. That's Psalm 1. The first thing we notice is that we're offered a contrasting picture of habits. It's very deliberate. The psalmist wants us to see that there are those habits that walking, standing, sitting, talks about this habitual presence with the wicked, with sinners, with the mockers. And it's contrasted with a person who takes delight in the Word of God, delight in the law of God, meditates on it, chews on it, incorporates it into their heart, their mind, their life. And so the immediate question that's raised for us is, what habits define your life? What habits define your life? Because we all have habits that define us, right? If we step back and ask the question, what are the habits that define life? It's a fun little exercise, actually. To ask, well, what, what's the habit? I have a habit of brushing my teeth. And in some real ways, that defines my life. My oral health, anyway. I had my first tooth extracted just this uh, month. I guess I didn't brush that one very well. Now that I think about it. (laughs) Habits define our lives. Whether you're aware of them or not. And this psalm forces us to ask, where am I standing? Like, where do I have the habit of walking? Who do I have the habit of being with? What am I focused on? Or what occupies the real estate between my ears? Who am I hanging out with? It's been said that we are the sum total of the five people we spend the most time with. We're most influenced by those friends, family, but you could also say authors or celebrities or whoever we, who occupies our heart and our mind and our presence and our time. And I think that's really true. There's a word of caution in there for anyone to choose your influences wisely. But you can expand that truth beyond just people. Because who we're going to be, where we're going to go, how we're going to grow, what contributions we're able to make, ways that we're able to learn, and, 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 and places we're able to serve, all that are influenced by the daily habits that we incorporate into our lives, which includes friendships, includes the people we're with, but it also includes what we consume on media. It includes what we listen to, what we focus on, what we're concerned about, what our hearts and our minds pursues, actually what we daily do. It all affects that. And notice how the psalmist captures it. He says, a blessed person does not have certain habits. There are certain habits that aren't part of their lives. They do not have a habit of walking, of standing, of sitting in the presence of the wicked, of sinners, of mockers. In other words, they don't allow evil or useless or cynical influences in. They reject those out of hand. They don't practice those things. They absolutely, they look at things that don't need to life and they say, I will have no part of that. 
That doesn't encourage my growth. I won't be part of that. That doesn't make me better. I won't be part of that. That doesn't draw me closer to God. That doesn't inspire me to love. Instead, that makes my mind whirl with negative emotion or struggle. I'm going to reject that. Those don't help me love God or love people more. I won't have that be part of my life because that is foolish. And so these blessed people don't walk in step with the wicked. They don't stand in the way that sinners take. They don't sit in the company of mockers. Instead, what do they do? Well, they delight in the law of the Lord. They meditate on His law day and night. In other words, they're influenced by the words and the ways of God rather than the words and the ways of the wicked. What does this mean? It means that people who are blessed have a life habit of filling their hearts and their minds with what God has to say, with God's way of seeing the world, with God's way of seeing others, with His call to live rightly, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and to love others fully. They delight in what God has to say. Now, delighting in what others have to say may be new to you, but did you ever, ever in your history, in your life, ever receive a love letter? Or... A letter from someone you love? Anyone? Older among us, you, I, I hope you did. I know. See, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the summer of 95 when I was down in Washington doing an internship, and Tennille would send me letters. And she sent me letters, and you know what I did with those letters? I didn't open them. I just threw them in the garbage. I didn't care. Right. I opened that letter, and I read it once, and then I put it away and never looked at it. No. How many times do you think I read that letter? A lot. What else did I do with that letter? I smelled it. (sighs) I posted it on the thing about my dad. You know, I'm saying, I delighted in that letter. I delighted in the words that Tennille had to say to me. Even if it was just daily stuff about her work or things that she was experiencing or whatever. The point is, That letter delighted me because it was someone that I loved. I took delight in it. This is the kind of of presence, this is the kind of excitement or joy that is characterizing this blessed person's life. They delight in what God has to say because they delight in God Himself. They delight in what God is doing. They delight in how God is bringing change into their lives and a new vision for how they are supposed to live. And as people who follow Jesus, we take the whole of Scripture and we say, I want to delight in the God who wrote this to me. I want to delight in the words of Jesus to me. I want to delight in the stories of Jesus and the writings of the apostles and these great poems and prophets. I want to delight in them and take them into my life and my heart because this is how I delight in God. This blessed life is influenced by walking with the Word rather than walking with the wicked or letting the negative influence shape their life. Okay, so the whole opening of the Psalms, Psalm 1 holds up this keystone habit, as it were, and invites us into a life of blessing and flourishing. That habits really matter. What we habitually do matters because who we are becoming flows from what we habitually do. That's just true. Who we're becoming flows from what we habitually do. So what habits define your life? That is the dominant question. It can be applied to any area of your life. What habits are forming my relationship with my child? What habits are forming my health? What habits am I doing that are creating learning in my life or not? What habits am I incorporating to make my work more joyful or a drudgery? But today we're going to keep narrowing it down. 
The psalmist moves us on from contrasting habits to contrasting results. He says the person who delights in the law of God, the person who meditates on the law of God day and night, who's constantly taking this, they're like a tree planted by streams of water, which is bearing fruit in season, and its leaves stay green. Whatever they do prospers, which is a pretty amazing thing to say. And it's in contrast with the result of the wicked, those who are not given to the ways of God, those who are rejecting and don't take any delight in what God has to say. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. We are to see in this wisdom psalm that habits produce results. The one who delights in God's word is like a luscious, fruitful tree. The one who rejects God's ways are like fluffy, insubstantial Chaff. And that's not meant to be a, a judgment. You don't have to walk around and go, chaff, 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 fruit, fruit. No, no. It's not like that. Wisdom literature pulls us back far enough so we can see which way the roads lead. So that we can then incorporate the right habits that lead to life. This psalmist wants to see a stark difference here. And he uses these powerful images to bring them to life for us. Now, I want you to hold these two images in your mind. I shouldn't have put it on the screen because that's going to affect what you're thinking in your own mind. But I want you to first see this tree. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. So maybe close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to think of an amazing tree. Think of a tree that is uh, luscious and is, um, you know, amazing and fruitful. It just represents sort of vitality to you. Can you think of a tree for you? Maybe it's in your yard. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's back when you were young and it's, it's, it's by a, a little creek on your place. I don't know. Where is it? Can, can you shout it out? Where, where's your tree? Just say where it is. Where's your tree? Anyone? I don't want you thinking of a generic tree out there. Think of a tree. I know what tree I immediately thought of. You know which one? I won't tell you yet. You tell me what tree you're thinking of. Okay. An arbutus tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I love those trees. They're weird, hey? They're awesome. Arbutus trees. Others, what, what tree are you thinking of? Sherry, a huge weeping willow by a creek. She, that's mine. You know which one? Not just by any creek. The one just before the antique trailer park when you go on the back Erickson Road. That one. That's the one I immediately thought. Now, I had to imagine, like, fruit hanging off it, which was a little weird, but, but, that tree is amazing and has this stream there and it's this big, huge, weeping willow. I love that tree and that's the image that came to me when I thought of it. Anyone else? What tree did you think of? A tree planted by streams of water bearing fruit in season and its leaf doesn't wither. So there's a tree. Now, I want you to now think of chaff. You know what chaff is, right? It's the husk that comes off grain. And in the old days, they'd like to throw it with forks, but now we use augers and combines. So, again, now think of chaff in your mind. What do you think of? Do you start sneezing? I do. do, do what comes to your mind as you think of chaff? Grain? Dust? Is there a pr- itchy? Yes, yes. Anyone think of a particular experience with chaff? Bailing hay, yeah. I think of the auger growing up. When the auger would come out of the, um, well, you know, we'd dump it from the grain truck and then up and into our bins. And I just think of seeing the grain come down, but then seeing on a windy day, seeing the chaff just blow in the, in the wind. That's what I thought of when I thought of chaff. And, um, and when I got really allergic at 15, my brother had to do all the shoveling inside the grain bin. It was 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for allergies. And, and, uh, and so I would stand outside and give him input as he would shovel inside the bin. It was, I was super popular. Anyway, that's chaff, right? So fruit, a fruitful tree and chaff. These are the contrast of images that this psalmist wants us to see. This is where the habits lead us. This is what a habit of standing in the, in the, in step, you know, walking in step with sinners and standing the way the sinners take and sitting in the company of walkers. That habit leads to what? Nothing. Fluff. Blowing away in the wind. No value. No, nothing good for anything. But rather, the person who delights then in the law of God, who meditates on his law day and night, oh, look at that. They're fruitful. They're green. They're luscious. That's what the psalmist wants us to see. That the thing that dominates your life, your heart, your mind, that produces results. And what he wants to lead us toward is the kind of habit that results in a blessed life that leads to growth and strength and bounty. True wisdom. It's quite a result. So he contrasts habits, he compares results, and the next he finishes by just concluding really the same thing by sharing the ends. This is where it ends. This is why he says, therefore, verse 5 and 6, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. They're like chaff. Sinners won't sit in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is a life of wisdom in the ways of God that's being contrasted. This life of wisdom in the ways of God is a life of delight in the Word of God. And it results in a flourishing life under the care of God. But the wicked, the foolish, they can't stand. They can't remain. They'll self-destruct. And as with much wisdom literature, Psalm 1 really wants us to see that very clearly. Well, what's the key truth here? According to Psalm 1, The difference between a life that produces fruit and a life that just spews chaff can be found in the daily habit. In the daily living in the ways of God. And so I actually want to issue a simple challenge for 2020. To take this psalm as your guide. And to instill into our daily life a keystone habit that leads to fruitful growth. What is that habit in particular, you ask? Memorization is the habit. Now, some of you I know right now are saying, I can't memorize anything. It's not true. Actually, even the weakest brained among us can. Now, I don't think any of you are weak brained, actually. We have a lot of uh, hesitation about memorization because we think we can't do that. And the truth is you can. Even people who are terrible at memory if they practice and work at it and learn how it can be done, can memorize very, very well. But the habit that I'm challenging you to consider, I'm challenging you to do for 2020, is to actually memorize for the sake of meditation. To memorize God's Word so that you can truly meditate on it, ruminate on it, chew on it. You know, in Hebrew, the root of that word meditate is the same as a dog with a bone. When your dog takes a bone and buries it in the backyard, and then about a week later digs it up and chews on it a bit, you know what he's doing to that bone? He's meditating upon it. I'm not kidding. He is just extracting from that bone all the goodness that a week in the ground has brought to it. And then he buries it again, right? And then about a week later, what does he dig up? That bone. And he does what? 
He meditates on it some more. <laughs> this is the kind of rumination, chewing, that memorization truly allows for. This is the keystone habit that I'm challenging you to incorporate into your lives. Now, we got a few minutes, so let me rattle off some very practical tips for how you can actually do this. I've been working uh, for the last year on memorization, and so I've learned some things about it, and I could talk a lot more about it, but I'll just give you some brief, helpful tips. How, if you were to say, yes, I'm going to try memorizing some scripture this year, I'm going to try to memorize some of the Bible, how would I start? Let me tell you. The first thing you would do is you would choose a smart goal. You've already heard this, but it's true. You'd choose something specific. In other words, you wouldn't say, in 2020, I want to memorize more of the Bible. That will not take you anywhere. Rather, you want to be specific. You, I want to memorize all of the parables that Jesus told in Luke 15. There, something very specific. I would like to memorize it in this translation. So be very specific. I'm going to memorize it in the New International Version. Or the new, don't memorize it in the Old King James, please. Okay, you can if you want. But I know they all say it's more poetic. But seriously, in 1611... You're in 2020 now. So try to pick something that's a little more English because you want to be able to recite it to yourself. You want to be able to ruminate on it. So pick a translation that you're comfortable with, uh, you know, meditating on, reciting. Okay, uh, you know what? I'm sorry. Did that, was that, anyway? I know some of you are still reading the King James. And I love the King James. I was raised with it. But I do think you should pick a translation that is really, you know, maybe a little more helpful. So specific, name what you're going to memorize. And we'll get to some of that maybe a little later, but uh, name a specific uh, book of the Bible or a specific collection of, of, of verses, but be specific. Also, make it measurable. How are you going to know when you're done? So in other words, don't leave it just open-ended. Say, I want to memorize this. I want to memorize this specific thing. Or I want to be able to recite the things I'm memorizing three times without error before I move on to the next thing. Whatever it is, but be uh, specific and then make it measurable. And also, make it attainable. In other words, not too large, but not too small either. You want to, you, you know, it's the, the Goldilocks, just right. You want it to be a stretch goal that makes you reach for it, but not so far that you snap. And so I do want to invite you, though, especially those of you who are a little fearful about memorization, to be a little bit ambitious, because you're actually likely to set too low of a goal if you don't make it ambitious enough. So, but something attainable. And then something relevant. So think through what is a particular thing that you would like to grow in. Like, do you want to understand Jesus more? Let's memorize something out of the Gospels. If you want to understand more about your identity in Christ, memorize the book of Ephesians. Uh, if you want to incorporate more uh, wisdom into your life, memorize some of the Proverbs, uh, five of the Psalms, whatever. Uh, again, be specific, but make it relevant. I'm struggling with anxiety. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look up 20 verses that relate to having God's peace in my life, and I'm going to memorize those so that I can reflect on them and meditate upon them in times when I'm worried, for example. So make it relevant. And then second, or lastly, the T, make it uh, time-bound. So you could use the whole year, but it's handy sometimes to just say, well, by June 15th, I want to be, I want to be, uh, have this done, for example, or by this date, I want to have it done. Be time bound. All right. So that's pick the goal. Pick a smart goal. Well, assuming that you pick a bit of a stretch goal, what I encourage you to do is to take your memorization goal and then break it down into something more specific, like some clear chunks with some, some, some benchmarks or some deadlines that move you toward completion. So, for example, if you said, for the year 2020, I want to memorize the book of Ephesians, which every single one of you could do. 
I want to memorize the book of Ephesians, six chapters. How many months are there in the year? Yeah, they're 12. Same as in 2019. In 2020, there's 12 months, which is pretty easy math. So I'm like, okay, that means I would need to memorize one chapter for every two months. How many days are there in two months? Roughly? 60, roughly. And so I can divide up the verses. You know what I'm saying? So you can break it down to micro chunks and you can know easily step toward that. Uh, that's what you're going to memorize. And then you simply start by reading it from your chosen translation. I encourage you to stick with one translation because it gets super confusing uh, to, to be jobbling it up in your mind with multiple translations at this stage. Simply read it. So if you said, uh, I keep using the book of Ephesians. Let, let me say uh, some of the parables of Jesus. Say, I'm going to memorize these five parables of Jesus. There's some short ones, by the way. They really serve it up. But there's some longer ones, too. You could say, okay, I'm now, this is what I want to memorize. Even these are the chunks I'm going to memorize. Maybe I'm only going to focus on what I'm going to learn the next two months. And I'm going to read that chunk over and over and over again for like a week. I'm just going to read it. I'm not trying to memorize it. I'm just familiarizing myself with it. I'm just reading it over. And that's just it. You can listen to audio while you're doing the dishes or while you're driving. You're just taking it in. As you're taking it in, as you're reading it or listening to it, you can start to identify visual markers. Uh, Visual markers really help you remember stuff. That's how our brains are wired. And so while you're hearing um, this gospel story or you're hearing this you know, uh, chapter from one of Paul's letters or, or something from the Psalms, think of visual markers that would come to your mind. Examples from Psalm 1 this morning, when I thought of walking in step with the wicked, now you know I'm a Lord of the Rings fan, so I thought of Frank and Sam, the time they were on the road and they're in mortar and all of a sudden they got stuck walking with all these orcs into the battle. Remember that? Lord of the Rings fans? Okay. So I thought of them walking in step of the wicked and thinking they were really not at a blessed moment in their life, Frodo and Sam, because they were forced to walk in step with the wicked. That's the image that came to me. I already told you the image of the tree planted by streams of water. It was a big old weeping willow there on the back Erickson Road. And I thought of chaff. I thought of our grain bin back home. Think of the visual markers that come to your mind from your story. Think of something really specific, not general, fruit, but like that apple from your tree, whatever it is. And then as you're identifying visual markers, start asking questions about what it means. Start ruminating on it even now. What do these images represent? Why does this thought in this uh, verse lead to that thought? What promises are here? What truth is here? What questions do I have? In other words, engage in what you're hearing. You haven't even started memorizing yet. You're just familiarizing yourself with it. You're just beginning to see it unfold and make those connections. After maybe a week or so of simply reading it, then I challenge you to write it out. Write it out by hand. You can even type it out, but it's better if you write it out by hand. Get a special journal of some kind and write out that verse or those couple of verses in this special journal by hand. Write it out once. Write it out twice if you want, but write it out. Helps you engage with it in a new, fresh way. And then by now you're pretty familiar with it. You continue to read this passage over and over. Maybe write it out again, but you don't have to. Read this passage over and over. And as you do, at this point, you're pretty familiar with these couple of verses. You simply begin to look away as you're reading it. I know what phrase is coming next. I look away and I say it. And I look back at the page and I read the next phrase. and I look away and I say the next few words. I just keep doing that. I keep doing that. I start looking away more and more frequently, repeating the lines with less and less dependent on the page. That's worked very well for me. Um, I'll just t- I'll tell you where I'm at. In about a year, maybe or so, I, I want to 
I want to teach us through the book of Romans. And so I've been working on the book of Romans, which is a massive project. And I, I hesitate to say it because I don't want you to think, whoa, whoa, you know, 16 chapters, what a nut job he is. But, you know, it's working and I'm just doing it slow and I'm just doing it uh, a little bit at a time. And I have this special little journal that I have. I'm doing exactly what I told you to do. And, and uh, you know, I'm almost done chapter four. And it's been amazing for me, personally amazing, but amazing just to work through it and have this constant stream of God's word in this particular case, uh, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And um, just having his words go through my mind, having the Holy Spirit connect that, it's been amazing. But it's simply been doing that, taking a chunk at a time, writing it out in this special journal I have, and then just reading it over and over again, thinking about visual markers, thinking about where it connects, listening to the associations as I go through it. The next thing I encourage you to do is to speak it out loud as often as you can. Because there's something powerful about having read it, heard it, written it down, but now hearing yourself say it, feeling yourself say it. There's certain cadence to words and connections that are made as you do this out loud. So say it out loud. There's certain things that flow together um, as we experience the text in a lot of different ways. And as you do, remember your motivation. Remember the goal. Our goal is to delight in what God has to say so that our lives produce fruit, so that our roots produce fruit that we be flourishing trees, that that be characteristic of our lives, that we're bearing fruit, that our leaves are green. The goal isn't actually a perfect recitation. The goal is not conquering a set amount. That's why I say, don't worry. I mean, yeah, do your best to memorize it. But really, at the end of the day, the goal is to drink deep of God's word, to take it in so that we can grow strong and live the blessed life that God has for us. And so remember that as you're going through. And then finally, do it with somebody. Actually, partner up. Friend, spouse, uh, someone that lives a long distance away. It's a great way to connect with them. Say, you know what? I've taken up this memory challenge. Would you do it with me? Let's pick a, 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 a you know, that summer. I'm just remembering this, Tennille. The summer that we were apart in 95, we memorized the book of James. At the same time, I think. And so uh, we would, we would, kind of keep each other accountable, and we were memorizing the book of James. That was back in 95. Don't ask me to recite that now. Although bits and pieces of it are still there, we should go back and review it. Do it with someone. It's good for them. It's good for you. It keeps you accountable. It's a way of encouraging each other to drink deep of God's Word. Okay? So that's the habit. That's the keystone habit that I'm challenging you and encouraging you to consider. Every single one of you, without exception, if you will incorporate this keystone habit, in small ways or in large ways, you will reap the benefits. That's the habit. The motivation I've already talked about. The motivation is formation by delight. The truth is our lives are formed the most by what we delight in the most. We're formed by our loves. And so we want to be formed by God, by his love for us and our love for him, to have our lives and minds and hearts filled right up, occupying this space and this space so that we're walking in the way of wisdom, so we're living this flourishing life. That's the motivation. And then, of course, the result is that we would fruitfully prosper under God's watchful care. I can tell you that as I've taken memorization more seriously, it has done amazing things for my heart and my mind. Things I've been worried about, trouble falling asleep, 
times when I've struggled with anger or, or resentment or, or just worried about stuff. My mind now is filled so often with God's thoughts, not because I'm something special, but because I'm choosing to put into my mind God's thoughts. So I'm driving to town, and I'll actually, and you know I'm a big, big podcast listener, I'll like shut off the podcast and let's go through Romans 1. And, and I'll, I'll just quote that out loud in the car. And to have my mind constantly filled has done amazing things for my mind. It actually has done things for my, my, my life, my spirit, my mind. But let's be honest, it's kind of like exercise, right? The more you do it, the stronger you get. So it's strengthened my ability to remember, to recall, and then the ultimate goal, to then start reflecting on that, meditating on that, asking, Lord, what are you saying here? In what way, as I'm memorizing, you know, whatever, Romans chapter 2, in what way am I being challenged here to consider my own hypocrisy, which is Romans 2 is all about that. And, and so there's ways that my mind is being filled with God thought, God's thoughts and I'm meditating on it that is really being real, uh, is offering me real advantages, real flourishing that I'm experiencing. And so I encourage you to consider that. Don't doubt your ability to memorize. God's giving you a great brain. There are things you wish you could forget, right? Yeah. Little jingles you heard last week. Yeah, I know. Your mind has an amazing ability to store information. Let's turn it toward the thing that will actually fill our hearts and minds with God's thoughts. And memorization is a wonderful, amazing way to do that. So that's it. That's my application for you this, this, uh, this year to choose to memorize God's word. Now, we can have more of a conversation about this. I'd like to figure out a way as a church of uh, like helping us do that so that this isn't just a one-off sermon on December 29th and we're going to go on, but maybe some way of... So if you've got some bright ideas for how we could do that, how we could... like Maybe some of you want to pair up. Maybe there's a way of, of sharing what we've decided to memorize this year and, and we can and cheer each other on and encourage each other. If you've got some ideas for how we could do that so that we could keep this in front of us as a congregation, because wouldn't it be neat wouldn't it be neat to be able to say at the end of 2020, we collectively memorized like the whole Bible or something? Okay, who wants Leviticus? Uh, no, I don't actually mean that. I mean like if you were to like count up the verses memorized collectively, it's kind of like the city of Austin lost a million pounds a few years ago. You hear about that? The city of Austin initiated a great health plan. And so what they did is they said, we're all going to lose weight because we're all fat and out of shape. So the city of Austin, starting with the mayor, they did this amazing initiative and they lost like a million pounds. And they did that by tracking all the pounds lost by individuals throughout the city. And they got a lot healthier and they did bike paths and they did walking paths and they blah, blah, blah. Great story. But wouldn't it be kind of fun at the end of 2020 to say that we collectively memorized, you know, these many thousands of verses? Not because, not as a pride point, but as a way of saying, look, that represents God's word getting in. That represents living the blessed life. This represents us delighting in the words and ways of God in ways that are reshaping us from the inside out. Wouldn't that be cool? Walk with me on this. Think with me on this. Pray with me on this. I'd love to hear your ideas of how we could do that. How we together as a community could delight in God's word delight in God's ways and see the flourishing and the growth that that will bring to our lives. That's your challenge. Let me pray for us as we shift to communion. Lord Jesus, you are the living word. You are God's word to us. You've also gifted us this written word. 
And through the stories, through the revelation, you have shown who you are, who your Father is. We discover about the Holy Spirit and His work in our lives. We discover your desire for us. We discover all that you've done for us to, to, to take away sin and to give us freedom. And we wouldn't know any of that without your word, without you, Jesus, without your written word, the Bible. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us as a congregation, but as individuals to, to take seriously this keystone habit of memorizing your word. That we would look at 2020 And we would add that. We would make that part of our daily life, part of our daily habit. But that delighting in your word, that meditating upon your word, well, you actually told us it would result in flourishing, prosperous living, defined by you. And so we want to just embrace that and say, help us, Lord, this year to meditate upon your word and to live that out in our lives. So I just pray for us as a congregation that we'd be able to do that, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey. Whether you're finding Jesus for the first time, or you have been following him for years. If you have been listening for a while, perhaps you're wondering how you can support the church financially. To find out, please go to ericksoncovenant.ca and click on the Donate tab. Thank you for being part of this journey with us. Every day we are seeking to help people to find and follow Jesus.